Today we're continuing our focus group series on Exodus, Freedom to Serve God. John Collar took us through the story of Moses' calling at the burning bush last week. Today we're looking at the Passover. So what's happened in between? After his calling, Moses and Aaron went to Egypt, met the elders of Israel, and gave them God's message. Then he met Pharaoh, and he passed on God's message as wanting his people to go to worship him in the wilderness. Pharaoh was incensed and refused. He insisted the Israelites had to make bricks without straw, but God promised deliverance for his people. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's a bit of an odd expression. Sounds like it wouldn't do much good for pumping the blood round his body. Maybe like a robocop or cyborg with spare metallic parts for heart. But more understandable if you think of it as the opposite of softening his heart. So God sent plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Well, we all remember the plagues, don't we? So how many can you remember? What plagues were sent on the Egyptians? Can't hear you? Need to speak up? Frogs, yes. Why do we all remember the frogs? <laughs> Boils, yep. Locusts. Sorry, Idris. Water turned to blood. The water turned to blood, that's right. So that's what we've got so far. Four, five, something like that. Darkness. Darkness. Darkness shall cover the earth, yes. Any others? Oh, the firstborn died. The firstborn all died, which is where we've got to today. You're not done badly. <laughs> that's the list. Blood, frogs. Gnats, flies, sounds like East Kilbride in a sultry evening. <laughs> Livestock, where they came out in rashes or boils. The plague of boils, plague of hail. That sounds like East Kilbride in the middle of winter too. <laughs> Locusts, darkness, and the plague on the firstborn. And it's as part of the story of the plague on the firstborn that we hear of the Passover. I thought I knew all about the Passover until I came to study it for this sermon. It would have been very boring. Maybe you think it still is, but there's far more to it than I thought. Or maybe I'm just getting old and forgetful. It's not as if Pharaoh hadn't been warned. Moses had been told to tell him of God's message or warning. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 to 23, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship you, me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. I'm going to borrow one of John Collins' devices today with alliterative headings. We've all heard about the three hours at school. Well, they weren't really three hours in a way because every word doesn't begin with an R. Reading, writing, and arithmetic but I'm going one stage further with four hours. So the first one is retribution. The Israelites had originally traveled to Egypt to escape the famine when Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. 
They were a relatively small family, but God blessed them and made them fruitful, and they became a great host. But while the initial Pharaoh welcomed them into Egypt, later Pharaohs and the Egyptians enslaved them. They became their manual workers living under hard times, and God had heard their cry. So he sent Moses to lead them out of Egypt and wrought retribution on the Egyptians for what they'd done to his chosen people. Pharaoh and the Egyptians hadn't listened to God. Retribution could also be looked on as judgment for the enslaving of God's chosen people, but also because of the idolatry in Egypt, not recognizing God as the only true God, but having multiple other gods. Indeed, the Pharaohs were also often regarded as gods in themselves. It's dangerous when we suppress people or let other things become more important to us than God. And in doing so, God also brought redemption to Israel. It's a funny word, redemption or redeem. I never thought I would use this illustration in a service, but here goes. The first time I learned about redemption when I was a child was to do with pawnbrokers. It wasn't people we would have dealt with very often. You were poor if you regularly went to the pawnbroker, but had sympathy who were those who were forced to. I think I've only been in a pawnbroker's once, and it was quite recently, when we were looking for foreign currency and I went to the bank. They didn't have any currency on the premises. You had to order it in. But the very helpful cashier said that Ramsden's, just along the way, had foreign currency at very good rates of exchange. So that's where I got it. They've obviously diversified from purely pawnbroking. But at the pawnbrokers, as I understand it, you gave up goods for a loan of money, and later you could get them back when you paid the relevant price, with interest, of course. Redeeming something or someone brings, means bringing them out of their present state into freedom on payment of the relevant price, be it money, sacrifice, or blood. In this context, it means to, to redeem something means to atone or make amends for sin, error, or evil. And the other meaning of redemption that I remembered was this redemption songs. In actual fact, when I looked at this, it's been on the go a long time, I realized that my name's in the cover in my mother's handwriting. So it must have been about the first music book that I'd actually got. Redemption songs for the redeemed people. Jesus redeemed us on the cross when he took our sins upon himself and paid the price with his body and his blood. We are a redeemed people. Do you ever think of yourself as redeemed? Redeemed from slavery to sin? Redeemed to freedom? Freedom to serve God, not to waste our lives on other things? Jesus was the Lamb of God, as stated right from the beginning of John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist says, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, like the Passover lamb, a sacrifice of body and blood. But the Passover was also a festival of remembrance, a reminder, 
when the Israelites were to remember God's act of redemption in freeing them from slavery and bondage in Egypt, in verse 14. To remind them of this and the importance of it, God decreed that this was to be the first month of their year, that their calendar was to start from this month, the month of Aviv or Abib, which means young head of grain. It was later called Nisan from Babylonian times. In the new ancient Near East, New Year festivals normally coincided with the new season of life in nature. The designation of this month as Israel's religious New Year reminded Israel that its life as the people of God was grounded in God's redemptive act in the Exodus. My old school, Hutchie, has been in the news recently because the teachers are planning to go on strike. And it was, the headline was, the teachers at Nicola Sturgeon's school were planning to go on strike. Of course, it wasn't Hutchison's grammar school when I was there. It was Hutchison's boys' grammar school because the boys and the girls had separate schools. Hutchie, as far as I know, is still the only private school on the south side of Glasgow. And you had to have enough money to send your children there because it was a fee-paying school. And the south side of Glasgow included places like Newlands, Pollock Shields, Gifnock, Newton Mearns, where a lot of the Jews lived. So we had quite a few Jews in our class because they usually had good jobs like bankers, lawyers, um, things like that. So we were used to the fact that the Jews in those days were a substantial minority of the class. They got extra holidays. Didn't please us all that much. But it wasn't the time of the Passover so much. The Israelite agricultural calendar began in the autumn and it became adopted as the civil calendar. So this year, it's from the evening of the 15th of September to the evening of the 17th. My busty, as it happens. It's called by another R, Rosh Hashanah. You might seem to say that this all seems very strange, having two separate New Years. But it's not quite as daft as you think. We celebrate New Year on January the 1st. But the fiscal or financial New Year is in early April. If you support a sports club, the new season depends on when the league starts. The church's calendar might well be regarded as starting after the end of the su summer holidays, when everything starts up again and all the organisations get going. And celebrations or festivals often relate more to pre-existing pagan ones. Whenever in the year Jesus was born, it almost certainly wasn't late December or in the bleak midwinter. We didn't even get the dating of the year right, and Easter depends on the cycles of the moon. Even the name Easter probably comes from the Germanic goddess of the spring. But if you want to remember when Passover falls, it's easy because Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples before his crucifixion, so the day before Good Friday. And as Miriam was saying earlier, it wasn't a cheap sacrifice either. 
a one-year-old male lamb brought into the household for a few days and then sacrificed. A one-year-old male lamb was the equivalent of a 30-year-old man. Males were worth more than females and it had to be without blemish, looking forward to Jesus, as stated in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 20. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but wasn't, was revealed in these last times for your sake. God didn't make a cheap sacrifice for us either. One-year-old lamb, equivalent to a 30-year-old man, Jesus' age when he died. It was to be a blood sacrifice, one life for another. The lamb was roasted whole, like shepherds and their sheep, in haste, like the making of bread without yeast, as they were to leave in a hurry. Cloak tucked into their belt, sandals on feet, staff in hand, roasted with bitter herbs, endive and shikari, were indigenous to Egypt, again to remind them of their years of servitude and bitterness. The blood on the door marked the house as one that God could pass over, but it was also a symbolism in marking the home as where God's chosen people lived, the Israelites, not the Egyptians, and they would be safe under the sign of blood. The killing of the firstborn may seem to us barbaric. How could God do such a thing? But Pharaoh's refusal to acknowledge the true God or to let his people go, despite all the other plagues, forced an escalation of the violence, as we see so often in conflict, like the war in Ukraine. God was showing him both how powerless Pharaoh was, and by killing the firstborn of the animals as well, which were often sacred to the gods in Egypt, was exerting his power as the true God, and showing the Egyptians how powerless their gods were. It also caused havoc with the succession to the throne, which naturally went to the firstborn. Verse 29 tells us that God struck down the firstborn from Pharaoh to the prisoner, the highest to the lowest, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh gets it and summons Moses and Aaron which he had said earlier he would never do again, and tell them to go and bless me also, looking after his own skin. Eventually, he has recognized the sovereign Lord, but as you'll know, not for long. The fourth R is response. God gave Moses detailed instructions for the Passover, what it would entail, what they had to do in detail, where they had to daub the blood as a sign of God's redemption, but they had to obey him. That was their response. They had to demonstrate their obedience to God as his chosen people. And Pharaoh's failure to obey God's commands and acknowledge his sovereignty was his response. He brought all the plagues in his people. So that's the four R's. Retribution, Redeemer, Reminder or Remembrance, response and over all this I think the underlying theme that comes from this passage is the fact of obedience obedience to God 
How do we respond to him? As we sang, Jesus is our Redeemer, would we have to make our response to him? Do we truly love and obey him? Is he really our first and only priority in life? How much does his sacrifice mean for us? Do we live as a redeemed people, willing, eager, enthusiastic to serve our Lord, our Saviour, our Redeemer? And how well do we obey his command to go and make disciples? What is our response? What is your response? Amen. Let's come to God in prayer.